Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Like many shows, the COVID-19 pandemic forced Rob McElhaney and the producers of Apple TV Plus's Mythic Quest to rethink some of its story plans. Yeah, it was, it was quite different um, insofar as we had written the entire second season um, right before we shut down. So we had to essentially throw all of those scripts out and start over. Um, and we were happy to do it because the world had completely changed in, in, in the last year. And we knew that if we were going to come back and shoot another season of the show, that it would have to at least reflect the realities of, of where the world is. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this bonus edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talked to Mythic Quest star and executive producer Rob McElhaney about season two of the comedy and some of the unique choices and experiments it makes with its storytelling. Later on, we chat with TV icon Katie Segal about her recurring role on The Connors, as well as her recent but alas short-lived ABC drama Rebel. It's all next on Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. It's more of a feeling than anything else. I'm seeing moss-covered fortresses, cities shimmering with silver and gold. Oh, I'm seeing castles dripping in antiquity. What, what does that even mean? Something can't drip in antiquity. The castle's either old or it isn't. You can't- Like this. Yes, yes! That's exactly what I have in my head. How did you- God, you guys! are absolutely incredible. It's like, I just come up with these crazy ideas and then you just whip them up. Well, well, producing a full high quality render would require significantly more time. Yeah, definitely, so let's get on it. Are you sure? No notes before we begin? No, no, it's it's perfect. And if it isn't, we'll just fix it later. Right, but uh, if, if you give us the notes now, we won't have to fix it later and we've never nailed it on our first try. Oh, don't be so modest, you guys got the goods. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcasts. I'm Michael Schneider, and that was Rob McElhaney as Ian Grimm, the co-creative director of the popular video game Mythic Quest. This season on Mythic Quest, the TV show, that is, Ian and his colleague and fellow creative director Poppy Lee, played by Charlotte Nickdow, are working separately to develop a new expansion of the game, and the pressure's on. Mythic Quest returned for season two on Apple TV Plus in May after two specials that served as bookends of sorts to the pandemic. Last year's quarantine episode, shot completely remotely with iPhones at the cast homes, has been lauded as one of the best pandemic-related installments of any TV show. 
And this April, the Everlight episode signified the team's return to the office. I hopped on the Zoom recently with McElhaney to catch up on how the second season of Mythic Quest is going and how the show is focusing more deeply on supporting characters this year and where things are heading as the show heads towards the season finale. We also talk about dropping episodes weekly versus all at once and about the longevity of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We began by discussing those two pandemic specials and how it wasn't under ideal situations, yet they managed to really make great TV out of it. Yes, it, it worked out from from a creative standpoint. That uh, that aspect worked out well. However, I would give it all up to have never gone through it in the first place. That's for sure. Not but, to, yeah, we we're really proud of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. No, to, to and, and yeah, to to have those bonus episodes. Um, at least it's the the classic. Take lemons, turn it into lemonade. And I still think about that episode. That was a year ago now that you guys had already shot that. Uh, quarantine episode. And at the time, you, you, could, you had to do everything at home. You had to use those iPhones. It was, I mean, at least we've, we've found new and interesting ways to produce TV in this past year, and you've been at the forefront of that. So when you look back at this year, what do you make of it and, and the challenges that you faced in getting back into production and figuring out how to do this in the middle of a pandemic? Um, yeah, well, it, it, it certainly wasn't easy. That that's for sure. But um, where, where there's a will, there's a way, and and we we recognize that um, you know when, when we when we first produced that that original episode that, that uh, truly what we were just trying to do is get everybody back to work for for a few weeks, th- three three or four weeks, two weeks of prep and shooting and post. Uh, but we had to do it from from our homes, and so we weren't doing anything else um, except homeschooling our children at the time. So. We thought, well, let's just put our heads together and try to figure this out, um, which is how and why we shot that that original quarantine episode. Um, and then, sure, sure, from a practical standpoint, it was just about getting the right equipment and and learning how to to utilize it correctly and then and then execute upon it. But then, you know, from a from a story perspective, it was it was all just sort of unfolding before our eyes. I mean, there were there were certainly comical aspects for all of us to be. Uh, communicating on things like this, Zoom, um, and then there was also the pathos of of, of true self isolation. Um, those are the things that a lot of people were were having to deal with and are still continuing to have to deal with, unfortunately. Um, and so, and so, we wanted to encapsulate all of that and and tell that story. And it was just out of uh, out of necessity. We didn't have any other any other means or any other way to do it uh, except for that. And so we we embraced it. Yeah. It also, I mean, it felt like a turning point for the show as well in terms of, uh, you know, it was possibly the most emotional episode uh, that, that you guys had, had done. And, you know, how did that sort of inform doing that bonus episode inform when, when you guys started sitting down and planning out season two? Um, was, was it a different season two than you were expecting? Or, or, or how did all of that sort of inform getting back to the story and these, these, these relationships? Yeah, it was it was quite different. Um, insofar as we had written the entire second season um, right before we shut down, so we had to essentially throw all of those scripts out and start over. Um, and we were happy to do it because the world had completely changed in in the last year. Um, and we knew that if we were going to come back and shoot another season of the show, that it would have to at least reflect the realities of of where the world is um, right now and where it was. Uh, according to the narrative as it picks up in season two. So that's why we felt like, 
you know, when, when we jumped into season two, we wanted to put the pandemic behind us. We knew that we would be airing during a time when the world was hopefully transitioning out uh, and that we wouldn't be past it. But at the same time that we felt that people would be kind of sick of talking about it and living in the experience and they would want to look in their rearview mirror at COVID. So that's that's why that's how we approach season two. But we also wanted to make sure that we were being respectful um, of the of of what that transition was going to be like and how it was going to be very difficult, both practically and um, emotionally, for people to go back and return to a sense of quote unquote nor- normalcy. Um, and so that's why we made the Everlight episode and released that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was, I was so so. To talk about when the idea came about to do Everlight as sort of a, a palate cleanser, as sort of a transitional episode. To, I mean, it is a celebration. It's it's sort of what I think we're all hoping to do in the coming months. Uh, maybe with not the same kind of budget to create an entire universe the way you guys did in that office, but it's kind of it was it was a nice sort of transitional moment for for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it was important to us to make sure that as we were leaning into season two, that we wanted to have the show feel like um, a very relatable workplace comedy, because that's what we believe that it is. Um, the fact that they that they make a video game, I don't want to say is irrelevant. It's it's obviously important to the story, but it certainly takes a backseat to the interpersonal dynamics of the characters that just happen to be stuck together at work. Um, something that everybody or a lot of people uh, in the world can relate to. Um, but when we were talking about making this transition back in, we said, well, that's that's all well and good, but how can we take full advantage of all the resources that we have to tell a really big uh, and fantastical story that, that will ultimately not only help us transition into the second season, but will just give us a really... Um, fun and optimistic view of the present and hopefully the near future. And uh, it, it also sort of, it sets up the, the fact that you were focusing even more on these characters this season. So Poppy and Ian obviously are at the center still. And we see early on how they're adjusting to this new partnership. And, and uh, Ian seems to be doing okay with it. Poppy is also feeling okay. And that, that sort of allowed you also to really start to focus on the testers. And, and with Brad and, and CW and, and some of the, the other characters. So kind of talk about that and, and wanting to dive deeper into who these folks are this season. Yeah, it was really important to us that if you're going to make, um, if you're going to make a, an office comedy, um, that you make sure that all of the characters are really well-rounded and three-dimensional characters. And, and you know, one of the benefits of of the new era of television um, from for us, from a creative standpoint, is that we don't have to do 22 or 24 episodes of, of a show each year. We we, we do about 10. Um, however, and that, that allows us to keep things fresh and to and to pursue other things and to and to make sure that each episode is really solid. Um, however, one of the drawbacks of that is that it doesn't allow for the audience to develop a long-term relationship with characters, which then allows you to take them to more emotional places, or at least allows you to understand them a little bit better. So um, what we wanted to do was make sure that that in the second season, right off the bat, we started getting into the personal lives of some of the characters who would be considered supporting characters. Um, maybe who characters like, for example, the testers, um, they were essentially relegated to one very um, simple and 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 not very complex storyline, which was, are they or aren't they going to get together and fall in love? And we knew very early on, like, I just wanted to dispense with that immediately. In the very first episode of season two, we we end that story. Um, uh, at least the, the, we 
we we put a we we put a bow on that story, and then we move on very quickly from there to um, to what really makes these people tick. What do they actually want now that they have each other? Um, and the audience has seen that. Great. Now you're 23 years old. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Um, these are the questions that we were asking the young writers in the room. Tell us about that experience. Tell us about what it's like to be in love, but also have all these passions and things that you want to pursue with your life and, and that constant push-pull. Once you start opening up those lines of communication in the writer's room, then anything can happen. Yeah, I'd be curious to see like how you guys decided to also switch around the character dynamics. You know, I, I'm thinking especially David, the, the, the saddest sack of all sad sacks on this show. And uh, you, you see, you know, him also sort of going through his evolution, sharing more about his busted marriage, about, I mean, he's he's a sad character. And then on top of it all, you take Joe away and, and you put her with someone else. And, and so you kind of have to break down this character, reinvent this character. Um, and, and again, with only a limited amount of time. Um, was there any specific character that you really in, like wanted to focus on this season or were really excited to kind of explore who they were and what they were up to? Well, certainly Murray's character, um, C.W. Longbottom, because he's played for the first, the, almost the entirety of the first season. And then for the very few first few episodes of the second season, he's played as... Um, essentially one dimensional. He comes into every scene. He kills every time he walks on. Cause he's so funny. Murray's so funny. The character's so funny. Um, but he is certainly a fish out of water. What makes him, um, so funny is that he does not belong there for so many different reasons. In, in many ways he becomes, I wouldn't want to say reprehensible cause he's not, but some of his, his behavior does not. And some of the things he, he says do not belong in the modern workplace. And so we felt like, yes, that's funny to a certain extent, but eventually not only is that going to get old, it's also going to get irresponsible because you just have somebody come in and, and echo um, common ideas, uh, maybe from the 60s and 70s and 80s of what a workplace might should be. Um, at a certain point, it's just going to get old and, 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 and at best and at worst, people are, are going to start to turn on him because they're going to stop. They're going to start wondering why he's not figured this out already that he can't act a certain way in the workplace. And so what we wanted to do was, you know, we wanted to tell his backstory and we wanted to get into a little bit of what his life was like before he came to Mythic Quest. Um, not necessarily from a comedic perspective, but from a dramatic perspective, which is why we made a flashback episode to him in the 70s. And I think that that is starting to paint a, a, a more vivid picture of who that character is and that it allows for you to enjoy him even more in the, in the present. I do love that you guys, this is sort of, uh, I don't know if this is a permanent hallmark of, of Mythic Quest, but uh, the fact that you're willing to play with the form and do a, a flashback and, and do sort of a, a, a non-typical episode during the season run, just like you did in season one. Um, talk about sort of like having fun with the form and, and you know, sort of challenging yourself to, to do something different uh, with, with some of these episodes. Yeah, I mean, we... we it's, it's funny because we sit in the writer's room and we say, look, we recognize that we want to make the show as relatable to as many people as possible. You know, I have this other show that, that we do the opposite. Um, I, Sunny, we've, we've made for 15 years. and Our whole thing is, how can we make this as niche as possible? How can we get it so that it's upsetting so many people because we're holding a mirror up to the culture and it becomes unsettling? And to the point where people are just, they, 
repulsed by it in some ways and they don't want to watch it anymore because it's too either hits too close to home or it just isn't their cup of tea whereas this kind of show we don't want to do that we actually want to attract more people and say hey these are people just like you this is a workplace just like uh just like your place of business that you go to work every day however as we're sitting there and saying great we could do 10 episodes of just like your average ho-hum day at the office you come to work and you're navigating all the same things that everybody has to has to deal with and then we go, great, we just broke three episodes like that, and those are super fun and fantastic, but how could we do something completely different? Um, and I think that's just a function of where we are right now as an audience. I, I know that I, when I sit down to watch a show, I don't want it to be the same thing week after week after week. I appreciate that shows take risks and take you to places that you didn't expect to go. And I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired by it when I see it in other shows. And, and so I want to reflect that in, in ours. Yeah, well, especially because of just how people now watch shows. I, I know you know you guys are released on somewhat of a weekly basis, but a lot of folks wait and they binge them all at once, and and so it's it's in some ways it gives you a little more latitude to be able to do something like that. Well, you know, it's 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 funny because Michael, like it, it's it's really interesting. Like one of the criticisms that I heard of the show, which then wound up becoming a compliment, was fascinating to me. So last year we dropped as a lot of the streamers are want to do at this point, dropped all of the episodes at once. And we thought, oh, great, like people will binge it. And it turned out that they did. And a lot of the criticism that I saw was like, was people saying like, you know, I don't, at first I didn't really um, like the characters because I didn't know them that well. But then like, as I continued to watch the show, I really started to like them a lot more. And then I thought, oh, they were really funny. <laughs> and I was like, like a television show? <laughs> I mean, that's what a TV show is, right? I mean, it just used to be that you would watch an episode. You would, the pilot was always the, the trickiest one because you didn't know who the people were. You were just dropped right in. Very rarely on any of the shows that I've ever loved, did you jump right into the pilot and go, I get it. I love everybody here. Like they're my best friend and I can't wait to see them again next week. No, it took a little time. It took a little effort. It took a little uh, a, a, a little bit of, of it just seeping into your consciousness. So if you just watch three in a row, sure, you're probably not going to, by the third episode, you're still, it's still not going to have seeped into your consciousness who these people are, what they want, what are the backgrounds, where they're coming from. You're not absorbing it in the way that it was, it was meant to be uh, absorbed. And so I really like the idea of us dropping an episode, waiting, you know, you wait until next week and you can't wait to see it again. Yes, of course. You know, when you're watching Game of Thrones and you're like, damn it, I wish I had the next episode right now. And yes, it's a little bit frustrating going to bed. But in the same way that, you know, you want that second piece of cake. But if you just had all the pieces of cake, you would eat them all before you went to bed. And then you'd be sick. Yeah. Well, right. The, like, so, yeah. The bottom line is people love to complain. So if a show is is sort of dropped all at once, no, just give it to me every other week. And, and then when shows are, are drip and drab every other week, why can't I binge this all at once? It's yes. yeah. It's it's yeah, and and I I look as we as as everybody sort of echoes at one point or another during these kinds of conversations. Like I do miss that time where there was a certain amount of uh, opportunity for chatter amongst people, like coming into a writers' room and saying, "Hey, did you see that thing last night? Did we all have that shared common experience of that episode of fill in the blank?" and you know, that's just, that's just gone now. And it's hard to have a common experience if we can't talk about anything because you've seen every episode 
and she's only seen one and he hasn't seen any. And now don't spoil it for me. And then I don't know when we're supposed to talk about it. Three years from now when everybody's all caught up. Right. And that that I do believe that that's taking away from the experience of of a, sh- a shared communal experience of of television. Yeah. No, I, I think it's 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 true. There there was something when when Lost was on, especially you just you could not wait until Thursday, and that that sort of that anticipation all day, that excitement that you knew that episode was coming, you had no idea what was going on. I do kind of miss that. Really miss that. So. Yeah. So you mentioned it's so funny when you talk about Sunny and, and how you know it's 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 a mirror of some of the, the just the awful aspects of of humanity and, and and the idea of repulsing viewers when this is a show that you guys just signed a new deal you're going to go for 18 seasons longest running uh you know live action comedy in history uh which is insane. I don't do you think that's ever going to happen again? Will there ever be a show that even goes over a hundred episodes. TV has changed so much, even since since you guys started Sunny back in the day. I don't know for sure, but whenever you say never, that's never <laughs> uh, that's never going to be one hundred percent accurate. I also will say that for any time I ever want to get high up on my horse, all I have to do is walk into my my living room and, like last night, I'm I'm not exaggerating. Last night and for the last week, I hear this like. I hear this laughter going on in the living room and it's my children. And then I hear this like canned laughter and I'm like, Oh, they're watching a sitcom. And I walk in and they're watching America's funniest home videos. <laughs> and I look to see it and they're watching season 31 episode six or something like that. And they just can't get enough of it. And if they turn that off, then they watch the Simpsons, the Simpsons season 28, you know, episode four. So I don't know. I just, I, I think when something works and, people are still willing to continue to make it, I think it, it can continue on and they can, can you know, I, I watched a few episodes of the Simpsons this year from this season and I haven't seen an episode of the Simpsons in 10 years, but I watched it with them and it worked. Yeah. It was amazing. It was hilarious. It's still fresh. They're still making really original, fun, cool television. So, you know, from their perspective, why would you ever stop? Yeah, that's true. Well, what keeps you guys going on sunny? What, what inspires you guys to, to keep going? The world just keeps giving us pearls. Yeah. I mean, you know, what, what we try to do on Sunny is to satirize current Western culture. And it's there's just a lot to satirize. I mean, it's still fun for us. It's still working with the people we love, the people we love spending time with. Um, there's still a massive audience out there. And what's bizarre is that our de- key demographic has never changed in 14 years. Men and women equally, 50-50, 18 to 35. That's our audience. And so we either get a new crop of people turning 18 and aging into it or turning 36 and aging out of it. (laughs) And so that has been going on every year, year after year for the last 15 years. And, and so we are now at the point where people were, um, were three years old when Sonny premiered and they're now just seeing it for the first time. So, and those are the people that reach out to me or the people I see on the street or the people that, uh, talk to me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever the social media outlets are and tell me how much they love it and how their parents used to watch it <laughs> and wouldn't let them watch it. And so I feel like if that audience is still there, I'm, I'm still willing to make it. Yeah. Well, and like you said, there's always going to be material. Uh, it's, it's uh, the, the world's not going to change to that degree. So you could conceivably do sunny forever. Every couple of years, revisit it. My idol once told me at a, at, at an event, 
I, I, I walked up to Larry David and we chatted a little bit and, and he said to me, don't ever stop. <laughs> I said, what? He said, never do a last episode ever. Don't ever stop doing it. Just keep doing it. And you realize like, that's what he's doing with Curb. He's not stopping. He might take off for four years and then he'll come back and do another season. But there'll never be a final episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He learned his lesson from Seinfeld. And it's because people don't want shows to end. Because even if they want them to stop, they don't want to have a finality to it because you want to believe that those people are still existing in that world, doing that thing that they've already done and that they've always done. So I don't know. Maybe I'll take his advice. Maybe I won't. But for now, we're definitely going to do 18 seasons. Yeah. Well, that's that. I mean, that's that. That's great. Why, why, why ever stop? Uh, you know, you don't. You don't need to necessarily ever say it's a finale. And by the way, the way the the world works right now, you would be rebooting two years anyway. So, yeah. you, you'd be. That would actually be incredible. Like to see a new crop of people take on the tone of Sunny and see what their version of it would be. You know, like if we if we gave it to a bunch of, well, that's an interesting experiment. What if you reached out to a group of 25-year-olds, which is how old we were when we did Sunny, and said, okay, make this show, but in the same tone as Sunny? What would their version be? What would their version of satire of a sitcom be in 2021? Yeah. I have no idea. That'd be interesting. Yeah. You guys have talked about spinoffs, right? What's sort of the, the, the feeling on, on spinoffs? Not really. I mean, I, I mean, I love a good spinoff, but I, I, I just don't see how this show. I mean, this show, Sunny doesn't live in reality. So the idea of like you know some of the greatest spinoffs. I mean, anything off of a Norman Lear show, for example. You know, you you, you could believe that that those people really existed outside the sphere of of All in the Family, and so you recognize how and why they would you would continue to tell their stories or or um, you know. Cheers to Frasier. Frasier felt like a real human being, so you recognize how and why he might have a life outside of Cheers. The, the Sunny characters are... I mean, if there was any kind of spinoff, it would be a cartoon. I mean, it, would, it would be an animated series, and that might make some kind of sense. Yeah. Well, there you go. We have, we've come up with a couple different ideas right here. There we how go. about uh, a series where, where you and uh, Caitlin just go around and rescue dogs? That would be something that she would very much be interested in. That's for sure. And as long as they, yeah, I mean, that was such a happy ending for, for that dog, but I'll tell you, it was, it was a roller. It was an emotional roller coaster because we truly thought we had this new, this new dog and the kids took, took to him and we took to him. And, and, and then of course, once we found out that he had a family, we, 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 we returned him. But, um, but it was uh, it was really gratifying. I mean, she 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 definitely saved that dog's life. It's funny when uh, when when I Google you right now, it's a mix of you saving dogs and then also you talking about how only only guys want to talk about how ripped you are right now. Um, <laughs> well, well, the the point, yeah, the, the, because whenever I talk about any kind of body transformation that I've done for the show. Um, I mean, nine times out of 10, it's a guy and it's never like, and, and when we talk about like when I was in really good shape, like for example, my wife hated it. My Caitlin hated it. Um, because a lot of people say like, Oh, that's traditionally an attractive look on a, on a, on a man. And she was just like, you look so sad to me you look like you're trying too hard, which I was, and you look like you're 
denying yourself enjoyment, which I was, and that you're all you're doing is thinking about working out and what your diet is. And that was true. <laughs> she's like, there's nothing sadder than that. And so it's not attractive. And she's dead right. So you you found a, a happier medium now. I found a happy medium. That's good. That's good. So uh, as we get out of all of this madness, um, you starting to feel like the world is is coming back to normal. Are you getting out more? Are you excited to sort of return to some sort of normalcy? What's what's sort of your feeling as we we head into the rest uh, of this year? Of course, of course. I mean, I just like the rest of the world really want to really want to return. I mean, I I think that I, I hope that we uh, we return with um with a, with a little bit more respect for um each other and our health and uh and recognize how tenuous this all is and 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 to recognize that, that we are truly all in it together um never is it more uh never is it more clear and and obvious that uh each one of us is an important part of this society and and if we if we don't all do our part then we're going to wind up in similar circumstances just possibly um in other areas of of potential human crises so um, I'm hoping that we we recognize that and we all come back and 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 we're we're stronger and happier and healthier for it. So how's uh, season three looking? A Mythic Quest? Oh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, we love making the show, and um, and uh, we we we, we I, I see a life for this show moving on and on and on and on and on. But um, but we'll see. I, I'm also I think the way that we ended this, the show this year is really. Uh, interesting and exciting and scary and and i don't think anything's worth doing unless you're challenging yourself and and doing doing new things so we'll see yeah yeah i mean no no spoilers but uh have you guys sort of mapped out any sort of uh future for the show yet or are you kind of waiting to see what's what's next no i i learned a long time ago that you can't worry about the next season until you're there on the first day of of the writer's room for that particular season and it's only because if i if I didn't, I would go crazy. You know, oh, look, you're a writer, so you get it, which is that, you know, as an actor, the second somebody says action, you're working. And when they say cut, you're not working anymore. And when you go home, you're not, you might be reliving it a little bit, but you're not, you're not, you're no longer working, right? You can, you can compartmentalize and you can think about whatever the rest of your day is. Directing, same thing, producing even, but writing, if you don't figure out a way to compartmentalize and to stop thinking about thinking about what you're supposed to be writing or could be writing or should be writing, you will drive yourself insane because you can't escape your own brain. You're always potentially working at 2 a.m. When you wake up and you think of something, you're working. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. And I, 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 I know I see people, I, I used to be one of these people that just couldn't stop. I was always, always concerning myself with what the next thing was going to be. And, and it just did not bring me joy. That's for sure. Well, it sounds like you're in a pretty good place right now, Rob. So um, now, uh, you know, get, get, get back to, to work on Sunny, where we're, we're waiting for those new episodes. So. Will do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's Rob McElhaney, star and executive producer of Apple TV Plus's Mythic Quest. After the break, Katie Segal does it all. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Inspired by the life of Aaron Brockovich today, ABC's Rebel starred Katie Segal as Annie Rebel Bello, a blue-collar legal advocate without a law degree. She cares desperately about the causes she fights for and the people she loves. Segal also recurs on ABC's The Connors as Dan's love interest and now fiancé, Louise. I spoke to Katie Segal prior to the news that ABC wouldn't be moving forward with the second season of Rebel, but nonetheless, we discussed about what drew her to the project, what she thinks of Aaron Brockovich, and how Segal has been such a badass on camera in recent years. And yes, I also ask why there still hasn't been a Married with Children reboot. But we began by pointing out that Segal was calling into our Zoom from her car. Well, not hiding. I actually went to one of my first exercise classes back again. And I limped back to my car. <laughs> so um, I'm sort of sitting here, you know, before I drive. <laughs> so that's what's why I'm in my car, sort of hiding, yes. Yeah. Um, well, some of the best acoustics, like the past year, what I've needed to do, like serious interviews, like you run to the car also so that there's no dogs barking or kids screaming at me. It's the, the car is sort of a safe space. So it kind of is, yes. Especially us in Los Angeles, the car is the safe space. Yeah. Yeah. So. How are you faring uh, during during all this as we're sort of like getting out of, of this pandemic quarantine world? CDC just said today we don't have to wear masks anymore. We're kind of getting back. How are you doing? How are you faring? I'm feeling so relieved and great about it all. And, you know, I have my children over for Mother's Day and not that I haven't seen them, but everybody fully vaccinated and big hugs. And I mean, it's fantastic. That, that is fantastic. Um, I'm waiting for our work environment to, I don't know what the Disney protocol is going to be in terms of loosening. That is still really, um, like the safest place you can possibly be because everybody's masked and shielded and all that. So, uh, I'm looking forward to the fall and, and possibly, possibly losing some of that, but it's, it just feels like so much progress has been made and I'm I'm encouraged and I encourage everybody to get vaccinated. Yes, yes indeed. Yes indeed. Um well what was the experience like in in sort of uh, wh- when did you uh produce uh, Rebel? What uh, wh- when did you film that? Well, it was the longest first episode of television ever made. It, we were supposed to start March the Monday, uh, and then we got shut down on Friday, March 2020. So that all got postponed. We came back in December. We got about four days in, and then somebody in the crew came up positive. So um, we shut down for two weeks, and then it was the holidays. And so we continued to be shut down. And then I think we came back mid-January and uh, finished. I want to say there was one little, one more little bump but I'm not 100% sure of that. But we finished around mid-February, just the first episode. So it was a very long episode. 
So that's got to be, I mean, it, it's been tough for everyone to produce in this environment, but I imagine launching a new show and, and sort of, you know, getting the rhythm and getting the vibe and, and, and sort of just like getting into it, especially because of all these delays, that must have been a little difficult. Oh, yeah, I would say it. Um, I mean, it's difficult and I'm super proud of us and super proud of our crew. And it's kind of amazing that we've been able to 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 do what we've done so far. Um but yeah, I, for me as an actor, I had been living with this script for like a year. You know what I mean? So it was so, I was just like raring to go. And um, and it was challenging, I would say, to keep it fresh for me once we finally got up and running because I had lived with it for so long. So um, that was challenging. The entire, you know, it's just been uh, an extraordinary uh, process. and. And I'm amazed that that the entertainment business is doing what it's doing. And um, yeah, and and Rebel definitely, you know, what's weird as an actor is you can't really see your fellow actor till they say roll them. And, and you've been rehearsing with a mask. And there's a good and a bad to that. It brings an instant freshness because suddenly you realize, oh, there's a whole other world going on in that other person's face. So there's kind of a, a newness to it and then there's also um it's difficult to really get those relationships going you know it's taken a little bit longer yeah well and, and starting in that first episode there's some physicality in, involved as well and and i imagine that that's tough in general but again in these circumstances there's there's added level of precaution that comes with it yeah absolutely and then the amount of um extras you can have the amount of you know, and it takes longer you know it takes longer and they want you to do it in less time <laughs> so so it's kind of like well so i'm really looking forward to when we can get um you know we can see each other more that would be really nice i don't even know what most of the people on my crew look like which is yeah. really strange you know because i'm so used to being with crew and becoming friendly and you know, you just know everybody. But yeah. you know, every once in a while, some, I'll see someone without their mask. I'm like, oh, you look completely different than what I thought you would look like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Zoom thing. It's like everyone's much taller or shorter than you expect, but no one knows what each other looks like now that it's all via Zoom. 100%. So I love I know this this seems to come up a lot these days, especially when you've been doing interviews about Rebel. But the, the whole narrative of, of Katie Seagal badass <laughs> and the fact that, like, you are now so identified with playing so many different badass characters and, and uh, you know, both, uh, you know, sort of tough and, and not so pleasant characters and then characters who are really trying to make a difference, like Rebel and, and sort of badass for, for good. Um, but when, when you kind of look at your career and, and some of the jobs you've done in recent years, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, how did you end up here at the badass stage of your career? Huh. Well, I will say, I don't consider Peg Bundy a badass. I wouldn't. Dude, she was a badass. Her in the badass character. <laughs> Do you think she was a badass? Well, she did put up with him. She so that did. was pretty badass. She did. That was pretty yeah. badass. I thought she was very sort of um, positive and, and just uh, definitely on the bright side as opposed to his dark side. So yeah. Yeah. I guess in those ways. 
Um, I feel like uh, the cartoon character I played, Lila, which is all she's also a badass, but she was the yeah. badass out of like feeling, feeling so separate from just so odd and different. She just got mad. So she was that kind of badass. I feel like they're all different. And why have I ended up here? I never really know why. Why? I have been told many times that I have a formidable presence. So um, I don't know that uh, uh, that that definitely must contribute to it. I, I suppose I'm I don't my kids don't really consider me a badass. So I, I don't think there's a super badass part of me in life. I mean, I'm definitely a survivor in my life. And so I've been through stuff and um, that gives you a sort of an internal fight. It's been it's been great to find the different badass qualities in each of these characters, though. They really do have, you know, there's a big difference between playing a biker outlaw, a criminal, basically, and then playing rebel, who is a person that empowers people and um, is very loud and, and somewhat obnoxious about it. And her badass qualities are on the side of righteousness you know so um i kind of don't I'm, i don't i kind of really don't know the answer to that question it just sort of seems to be where i am i'm not very demure <laughs> <laughs> um well talk a little bit about aaron brockovich and and sort of getting to how much did you get to know her what's what's sort of your relationship with her now and and how much of of her did you sort of glean in in creating this character well, I didn't spend a lot. Of, I haven't spent a lot of time with her, and the time, but the time I have spent was one of those like instant connections. You know, you meet somebody and you feel like, oh yeah, I know who this person is. Um, I wasn't surprised when they asked me to play her. I, 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 you know, it was it was a good it was a good choice. And um, she, when you sit down with her, we had our, our first lunch before I said yes to the project. It ended up into a three hour girl conversation basically of what three women three strong women and we were just talking about stuff and once Aaron gets onto something she is extremely passionate and um not afraid to speak her mind so that was that was I, I definitely gleaned that at one point in the conversation I tried to get into the history of her and then was quickly told that this wasn't her life story so it's kind of loosely inspired by and so I'm not playing her so I I kind of made up my own history of rebel which is sort of the way I like to to work which is to find out you know where I where I'm from and so I have my own little fictionized fictionalized version um and I don't believe it is true to who Erin Brockovich is but uh her energy is what I picked up on you know some of her wardrobe is what, what we went with, you know, she's, um, she's really an amazing person, uh, and not performative at all in her approach to what she does and not ego driven in her approach to what she does. She's not doing it for self gratification so much as, I mean, self aggrandizing is so much as I, I believe she does what she does because she, she's just incensed by stuff that's, that's not correct. And people, you know, it's been particularly in this year of uh, people telling us we're not seeing what we're seeing. She's a person that refuses to, to get off point and, you know, reminds us that yes, you are seeing what you're seeing. Yeah. 
And that's uh, and and so you see that in 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 Rebel in in that sometimes you know she just and, and I think we can all feel it like why don't people see this like why like, what what like, and and that frustration in realizing that not everyone sees that and sometimes Rebel sort of goes too far and alienates the loved ones around her as she's doing that but she has this sort of this this sort of you know tunnel vision of no we right. need to like. We need to expose what's right and what's wrong. Um, right. So I'm just curious, like, as you sort of played, you know, started to get to know this character more and, and started to sort of figure out who this character was, you know, uh, sort of talk about figuring out who this, who Rebel is. Um, you know, I I did a lot of, well, first of all, I did research on the uh, medical device uh, system in our country. I, did, I watched a great documentary called The Bleeding Edge, which talks about basically, um, you know, uh, medical devices being grandfathered into the system without being um, tested on humans. And so that's that's one of the oh, that's the overriding arc of this season. So I I, uh, I did research into that. I was completely incensed by it. And um, as we say in one episode, if you're going to get your hip replaced, use an old use an old style hip. Don't get the new ones because they're not as tested as well. So. I did that. The family part of her, which is really super interesting to me, you know, because I, too, am a working mom. Uh, Rebel's a working mom with three kids. And, you know, two out of the three are completely resentful that she neglected them so much while she was out fighting the good fight. Ironically, they both go into service work. You know, they're mad at her, but yet one's a doctor and one's a lawyer for pro bono cases. So, and that's that's what that was very interesting for me to play. And that's kind of not close to home, but I've always felt as a working mom that I was I couldn't give a hundred percent to wherever I was. It's the struggle of doing what you love and also raising a family. So that was very that that has been very interesting for me to to explore and to because Rebel, as opposed to Katie, is me, you know, she it's not that she doesn't care that they're mad at her it's not her priority that they're mad at her she really believes in what she's doing and gee i'm really sorry that you know i wasn't there at the school function but this was more important that's where she goes yeah and um yes i, I think i'm answering your question yeah. no that, that's that's exactly it is is you know it's it, you can't hate rebel for you know doing it and and her kids don't hate her they they're just and and obviously they were inspired by her even if they can't admit it but it's it's yeah not there are no perfect scenarios no and there's repercussions and i'm hoping in our season two we can explore more of that because of the sort of repercussions of of grown kids that are having to work through, you know, intimacy issues because mom wasn't around and there was no dad and, you know, all those fascinating things that people have to figure out, you know, in their adult lives that are, are repercussions of growing up a certain way. And yes, Rebel, she's not big on saying I'm sorry. <laughs> she's not big on, you know, um, I mean, she'll definitely admit it if she's gotten something wrong, but she never really thinks she's gotten it wrong. That's, that's been, that's a very different quality than I have. So yeah. I've had to kind of go against my instinct about it. So let's talk about doing double duty at ABC this year. Um, mm. 
you're you're big big part of that network these days. Uh, uh, take take me back to the Connors and what that experience has been like in you know getting back in front of multi camera comedy and and working with with this cast. Well, that was um, a super big gift, I would say. At first, I was a, just a little bit trepidatious when they called and they said we were interested in you to play John's uh, or Dan. And Connor's new love interest. And I, I knew the whole Roseanne of it all. And I just, um, you know, I wanted to be, I, I wanted it to be uh, made clear that, and they were very clear about it as well, that we weren't trying to fill in a space that couldn't be filled. So, um, you know, it was to be a whole new thing. And I feel really, uh, I've done three seasons of it now. And I think they really, I mean, I think the first season, I was only in it at the end. And I think they've, un, they've, they've gradually built this relationship in a very real way. So um, first of all, I am unbelievably thrilled to work with John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf and Sarah and Lisi. They're all great actors. It is a, a super great set over there, wonderfully supportive and, um, and funny, you know? So I want to say that we haven't done it. We didn't do it in front of a live audience this whole last season, which was fine with me. Um, that was fine. You know, I can, I can do it either way. And, um, no, it's been great. And I hope to go back. I mean, I really feel like I when I, before I took rebel, I was like, you guys, it's in my contract that I can do both shows because yeah. I really want to stay in that Connors universe. Um, if they'll have me and it seems like the relationship is growing more and more. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Well, they 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 gave Louise COVID so she could go off and shoot Rebel. So yes, <laughs> yeah, but she'll see. I don't even know if it's, but I, I get better. Yeah. Louise gets better. She comes back. So, yeah. so that, I did that. That's good. That's good. But um, yeah, I mean that that uh, you know for uh, obviously Connor's you know being the successor of Rosanna show that always sort of dealt with real life and and things that are going on in the world. Uh, you know, it was interesting to see how. Connors this season dealt with COVID and and bringing that into the conversation and, and into the storyline, and and sort of reflecting what everyone was was going through in, in real life. Um, yeah, I think it's a perfect forum for that that show. So what 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 do you make of of Louise now? Now that she's sort of you know slowly become a, a part of of that family as well, and and where do you hope things go with 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 that character and, and with the Connors? Well, I think what's interesting about Louise, which is interesting about all the parts of Leah, is that, that she's flawed. She's also, she's also, she's not coming in as the, um, you know, I think she thinks that the rest of them are a little bit nuts, but I think she's got her own little nuts going on. You know, I think that she has spent, you know, 30 years of her life on the road and avoiding any kind of intimate relationships. That's, my backstory and my thought on Louise. I think that her uh, falling for Dan Connor is kind of her making a decision to change her life, to be different, you know, to settle in. You know, it's interesting, people that don't want to stop moving around, there's a reason they don't want to stop moving around. And, and And they find that out when they finally slow down. So, I think that'll be interesting if they, if they take her in that direction. Um, you know, I don't want to give away what, what happens in the end of this season, but, but things are moving forward. So, uh, 
they've teased proposals, so we we can kind of yes. guess where maybe what some of those proposals are. Yeah, yeah, they tease all that, and uh, I'll just say it's it's all positive. So um, I'm not sure. You know, there's such a good bunch of writers over there. They're just so they're you know they're great, and so wherever they take it, it's kind of nice to be surprised. This year with Candace Bergen guest starring too. I mean, I'm, I'm loving that it, it's sort of this this mashup of my late 1980s uh, TV viewing. Yeah, it was really fun. I got to meet her and, you know, I don't know her, but uh, I worked one day and she was there with her dog, which was really kind of nice. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great casting over there. Super great. Yeah. Why haven't we had the Married with Children reboot? What's what's going on? What's <laughs> taking so long? Every other show has has come back. I know. Well, if you kind of think about it, the Bundys would go against the grain. The Bundys, you know, they would be the last, if, if ever, to have a reboot. And and the truth is, we've it comes up like every year. It comes up, and yeah. um, either Ed's working, Chrissy's working, and then and then the biggest hurdle seems to have been getting the uh, rights from the creator. You know, that seems to be uh, the last... I know David Faustino had a pitch for a sort of a Bud Bundy uh, show, which I thought would be great. And then Ed and Chrissy and I were all committed to doing at least the pilot. And um, and then for some reason, it went away. I, I think it has to do with behind the scenes, who is the creator, you know, the, the original... One of the original creators sadly passed on. And so... Um, it, there's some kind of minutia about that, but it, but it is talked about. It's definitely talked about. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, there's, there's a million streamers out there now. So eventually, eventually going to figure out how to, how to do it. It'd be so fun. I would love it. That's Katie Seagal. You can catch up on Rebel and the Connors on Hulu. And that's it for this bonus edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Danielle Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.